The picture up there, everybody's been trying to guess who it is behind the, the, the words there. Uh, Pat Watkins is taking a lot of flack this morning. They think it's him. Some people think it's our missionary, Andy Johnson. Actually, it's a generic picture, all right? So all you bald people can relax just for a moment about what we put up there. It's not you. So who do you think you are? That's a big question. The way you perceive that has a lot to do with who you will be. You know, if we were to take this sentence and simply say, I am blank, how would you fill in that blank? I'm young, I'm old, I'm rich, I'm poor, I'm smart, I'm ignorant, I'm single, I'm married, I'm married, I'm divorced, I'm successful, I'm a failure, I'm an accountant, I'm a teacher, I'm a coach, I'm a player, I'm a student, I'm an engineer. Or maybe you'd identify more of where you're from. I'm a northerner. I'm a southerner. I'm from California. I'm an Alabamian. I'm a Montgomerian. I'm a Birminghamian. I guess that's the way you say it. How would you put that? How do you identify yourself? You see, the way you answer this question changes everything. Because who you think you are determines what you will do. If you know who you are, you know what to do. If you don't know who you are, you don't know what to do. The problem is we often don't really know. And that's why I might be in in one place and act one certain way and then around a different group of people and act a, a different way. My identity shifts according to where I am and and whom I'm around. It reminds me of the man who um, was going to flight. He flew all the time. He had millions of frequent flyer miles. He always sat in first class, and he was rather impatient when he came to the line. And the line was so long, and he was trying to wait to, to get there. And he finally got frustrated, and he, he ran around the line. He went to the desk. He talked to this little girl behind the desk and said, you know, I'm first class. I fly millions of miles. I don't want to wait in this line. And she said, sir, you've got to go back to the end of the line. He said to her, do you know who I am? And this little girl is pretty sharp. She quickly walked back to her desk, grabbed her microphone, and she said, we have a man here at the desk who's unsure of who he is. If you could help identify him, please walk up here right now. Sometimes we're that confused about who we are. And when we live in that confusion, it absolutely affects our behavior. And that's why I'm so excited about us coming to the book of Ephesians this morning. Because the theme of Ephesians is who you are in Christ. You've got some young Christians in the city of Ephesus who aren't so sure about who they are. And Paul writes this letter that will have widespread circulation to say, if if you're a Christian, this is who you are. In fact, the the first verse, I think, is rather telling, and that's what we're focusing on this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul says there's, there's two places that these people live that can shape their identity. Write this down. First of all, they live in Ephesus. And second, they live in Christ. 
There's the tension of the book. Is, or is your identity more determined by where you live in Ephesus or where you live in Christ? You see, Ephesus was a world-class city. It was a, a, a cosmopolitan city with a great port. Great highway systems came through it. In the ancient world, it was a very large city. Its population would be similar to the population of Montgomery or, or Birmingham proper, about 250,000. It was also a very religious city, but it was a very sexually perverted religious city. We remember back when Paul first went to Ephesus and Acts, and, and they began to destroy the idols that they wanted to kill the Apostle Paul because he's messing up their economy. And, and their, their, their worship to these idols was very centered around sexual perversions. In fact, one recent archaeological dig found a tunnel between the library in Ephesus. There was a secret tunnel between it and a brothel. And so a man might tell his wife that he's going to read some books at the library while he was actually sneaking over to the brothel. It was a very perverted city. We think we live in a perverted today, uh, uh, culture today. Ephesus was every bit as perverted. So they lived in Ephesus. And guys, if you're not careful, where you live determines a lot of who you are. In America today, as we see America becoming more and more post-Christian, as the uh, scholars would say, we can be more and more impacted by a post-Christian culture that looks at everything different and even seeks to redefine things that have been anciently defined. I know most of us are, are very concerned about the redefinition of what it even means to be married. The, the old, ancient of every culture definition of marriage in a breathtaking speed is being changed in our country. I think we would all be foolish to not think that leads to some repercussions. But, but listen to me. What bothers me even more than that redefinition is that some of the people that are working toward that are not only wanting to redefine marriage, they're wanting to redefine who we are. So if you hold to traditional view of marriage in America today, be very careful because you are going to be labeled as a bigot. You're going to be labeled as homophobic. You're going to be labeled as someone who does not love everyone. That's a scary redefinition. But when we let our culture begin to define us, that's what happens. We're not the first people, but first Christians, to grow up in a culture that's completely different than what we believe. And that's what's going on in Ephesus. And so what Paul's concerned is, is are they going to be defined by being in Ephesus, or are they going to be defined by being in Christ? Now, now this, this term in Christ is extremely significant. In the book of Acts, uh, Ephesians, he'll use it over 26 times that you're in Christ, that you're in him. In Paul's writings, he uses it 216 times. In fact, Paul hardly ever uses the word Christian to describe us or even the word disciple. Paul's favorite description of who we are is that we are in Christ. I've been trying to wrestle with that all this week. What does that mean? I mean? This is obviously a key term for our identity. What does it mean for you, for me, to be in Christ? You know, we might say it's, um, 
like uh, getting a college acceptance letter where they say you've, you've been accepted into this university. Or I also thought of um, the ESPN advertisement all this fall about the new playoff system. And, and it just had this simple caption, who's in? Are you be in or out? But I don't think those things are analogous. I, I don't think they're deep enough. I mean, whether you got into that college or not is dependent on your own ACT score and your own grades. Whether you got into the playoff system was dependent on your your season and your wins. To be in Christ is not dependent on what you have done. It's dependent on what he has done. And it's so much deeper. What does it mean to be in Christ? The Bible used a lot of terms trying to help us with this. The Apostle Paul and and other writings will say that when we were baptized, we were clothed with Christ. At another place, he says, we are hidden in Christ. That's, That's big. It's deep. It's serious. It's all consuming. It's an immersion. John chapter 15 says, when we abide in Christ, he begins to make us fruitful. In fact, he says, if you're not in Christ, you can, if you're not abiding in Christ, Jesus says there, you can do nothing. So what, what would help us get a handle on this? The only thing I can find in my thoughts is, the only thing maybe even close to helping me understand what it means to be in Christ is what it means to be in love. I saw a website this week and they gave a test to find out if you're in love. And just think about these things. The first test was, is this person really special to you? The second test, do you think, when you first, when you first fall in love, you think this person is perfect? You believe that overcoming challenges together will make you closer. You think about this person constantly. You would prefer to be together all the time. You want to stay together forever. And when you love somebody, you even use words like, I'll do anything for you. You're completely immersed and maybe obsessed with this person. You're, you're together. And I think that might be a little close to what we're talking about to be in Christ. That you're so immersed into him. He's who you think about. He is your life. And you would love to spend forever with him. It's that deep. And that's what Paul's trying to get across here. So I'm asking you this morning, are you in Ephesus? Are you in Christ? Are you in our culture? Are you in Christ? You see, if you're living in Ephesus only, culture will begin to define you through different idols. Let me tell you some of the things with this term idols. Is it a acrostic here that will help you to maybe understand some of the things that will define you? Maybe it's items. It's your possessions. Many of us are identified by the brand name that we wear or the make of car that we drive. For some of us, nothing wrong with brand name clothes or a nice car. But when that begins to be your identity, and some of us that are really connected to tech, do I have the latest tech, it, the latest tech app? Do I have the latest technological advancement? I begin to be defined by the items of my life and I feel insecure if I don't have the right name brand or the right tech piece. 
Some of us, it's our duties. That might be the, the number one thing. It is our normal question for each other when we come to know each other is, what do you do? And, and you begin to be identified by your job. Your identity can become much too wrapped up in your job. I know in times in my life that my identity has been more wrapped up in my job and what I do than in Christ. And that leads to all kinds of insecurities because when your job doesn't go well or your performance doesn't measure up to what you expect, then you begin to be very insecure because your, your identity is wrapped up in your job. I love the saying I hear so many of you say, I'm an accountant. I'm not an accountant who happens to be a Christian. I'm a Christian who happens to be an accountant. There's a very big difference there. There's also, you might have your identity wrapped up in others. It's a good thing that you want to live in harmony with other people. But it's a dangerous thing when you become overly dependent on someone else's opinion of you. One of my favorite authors, John Ortberg, calls this approval addiction. That you're addicted to the applause and the approval. And there might be somebody in your life that your day, whether it's this high or this low, is dependent on how they respond to you. And you begin to have that approval addiction that dominates your life. Nothing wrong with someone appreciating you, but there's, it becomes an idol when it means too much to you. Reminds me of um, the Academy Award years ago. Maybe you remember when Sally Fields finally got an Academy Award. Anybody remember that? And she came up to the microphone, and all she could say over and over pitifully is, you like me, you like me, you like me, you really like me. And some of us go through life just craving that person or those people to, to like us. And it becomes an idol. And then another idol that can happen in your life is what I call your, your lapses, your mistakes, your sins. You, you, you begin to be identified by your pregnancy back in high school out of wedlock. You begin to be identified by that drug addiction that has plagued your life. You're identified by that ethical lapse you have in business that cost you your job. You're identified the rest of your life, even in your own heart, by that public failure that everyone knows about. It's like that old novel, The Scarlet Letter A. It's like it's been, it's been tattooed on your forehead. And you're known, oh, maybe not as an adulterer, but you could name your sin. And you begin to be known by that. And it becomes your identity. Or even the S is your sufferings. You know, you're suffering. You become a victim instead of victorious. You're known forever as a, in your own mind as that divorcee. You're known forever as that person who has that certain disease or as a depressed person or rejected person. And then your suffering begins to be your identity. And you've met that person that any conversation you have with them leads back to that awful thing in their life. It becomes their identity. You see, that's what it means, guys, to live in Ephesus. Maybe it's the things in your life or your job or the people or the sin 
or the suffering that begins to identify who you are. And when those things begin to identify who you are, it determines what you do. Paul says, I got a better place for you to live. I know you got to live in Ephesus, but here's what you get to do. You also get to live in Christ, immersed and surrounded and protected by Jesus Christ. Now, now how do you get in Christ? How does he identify you that way? First of all, by, by his sacrifice. You see, guys, please understand what happened on the cross is what C.S. Lewis called the great exchange. On the cross, Jesus took your place. He took my place. He took upon himself our sins. He so closely identified himself with us so that we could be identified with him. And that brings us to the next point there, which is our identity comes from his view of us, okay? You see, too often my identity comes from your view of me, and you can devastate me or make my day. Paul says your identity needs to become from who Christ thinks you are, and because of that sacrifice, listen to me, God looks at you completely different. Because you have been hidden in Christ. You have been clothed with Christ. Listen to me. you got to understand this. It will change the way you act. When God looks at you today, you know what he sees? He sees perfection. You say, but I've still got some sin in my life. I've still got some struggles in my life. I've still got some issues in my life. Okay, that's understandable. But in Christ, when God looks at you, because he has exchanged places with you through Jesus, when he sees you today, God doesn't see your sins and your failures and your frailties. He sees Jesus. That's who you are. That's his view of you. That's why the gospel is so awesome. So it's his sacrifice, his view. And then another way we receive this identity is through his word. Because that's why being in the word is so important. Especially in a book like the book of Ephesians. Because Paul's can take this... This book to tell us who we really are. Because that, that, that's why we get in trouble when we spend more time with modern media than we spend in the ancient word of God. Because we begin to look at ourselves the way we're labeled by our culture instead of label ourselves by the way we're looked at in God. And this book is so rich. I encourage you to be in it. Because it will change the way you look at each other. And then one other thing is, is we receive our identity by being in his body. Why does God put us together? Why do we need to gather here away from all of being in Montgomery or in Birmingham or in Ephesus? Why do we gather? Because we gather together to identify who we are. To remind each other, you know who you are? It's like that first verse of the book. It's a term we don't even use, we're uncomfortable with. You're a saint. You're perfect in Christ. You're chosen in him. We don't often think of ourselves that way. And that's why we gather. That's why we use baptism and the Lord's suppers, identifying marks in our life together. Because they tell us that we're hidden in Christ. We need each other. Because that's why, if you're not connected to the body, why don't you get connected? 
I hear people say, well, I just don't feel very connected with the, the church. Well, what are you doing to get connected? What do you come to if, if all you do is attend Sunday morning worship? I'm telling you, you're not going to receive that encouragement, those relationships that identify you the way you need to. So we are identified in Christ through his sacrifice, through his view of us, and through his body. Now look what happens. Let me give you this next list. Look at, go, go to the next slide. Now, those are just the beginning of who Paul says we are in Christ. Those are just the beginning of the blessings that we have, not living in Ephesus, but living in Christ. There's 15 words up there. You're a holy person. You're a blessed person. You've been chosen. You've been accepted. See, so many of us, our identity is because we're craving acceptance so badly. We receive rejection, maybe in that friendship or in that marriage or that workplace. And and we want acceptance. And in Christ, we're completely accepted. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. We're united. In Christ, we are rich. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are powerful. In Christ, we know the truth about things, even the truth about ourselves. We live in the light, not in darkness. We are strong. We are full of purpose. We are free from that old life that plagued us and that old even identity. Now, let me ask you this, guys, just while we get started here. If we really believe just that list, and that's just the beginning, if we believe that that is who we are in Christ, what difference would it make? Because this... This is a game changer. And when you view yourself the way God views you in Christ, it changes everything about you. Here's the bottom line, guys. When you know who you are, you know what to do. If you know you're an honest person, and that's part of how you identify yourself, I tell the truth then you don't tell that lie, even when it's convenient. And Paul says, when you know who you are, it will change your behavior. Now, this is seen in the order of this book. The first three chapters of of Ephesians are going to tell us who we are in Christ. The last three chapters will tell us how we ought to behave. That's always Paul's order. Paul believes that your beliefs determine your behavior. It's not enough for us to come together on Sunday morning and say, you ought to do this and do this and do this, and you better not do this and this and this. That's all good, and Paul will get there, and he's not opposed to those kind of lists. But Paul never starts there. Paul always starts with who you are in Christ, because when you know who you are, it will determine your behavior. And we get really mixed up when we go a different direction. I even think about this sermon series of the last few weeks about my mission. For some of you, you've connected with it in such a great way, man. I'm getting your emails and your texts and you're like, man, buddy, I am on a mission. Some of you said to me this week, you know, man, I started my most wanted list this week. And man, there's somebody I invited to church who told me they were going to come. Man, I, I love that. But there's some of you, I know well enough that, that I've sort of frightened you the last few weeks. And it, 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 it didn't really connect to you. 
Because here's what I'd say is what we've, we've got to do is we've got to take a step back from the behavior of I need to be someone on outreach for God. We've got to step back and say, who am I in Christ? Because if I believe that I am all those words we just showed on the screen, then evangelism and outreach is going to become very natural. It's not someone's got to push me into it because I've got something so good. I've been so blessed. I'm so free. I'm so so strong and powerful in the spirit that to go out and to share this and to tell this, nobody's got to push me into doing it. I do it. Because it's who I am. It's not just something I do. It's very, very different. And so, know who you are. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 in the message translation. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and why we are living. It's in Christ we find that out. You see, Paul's going to get practical. He's going to talk about your language. And he's going to talk about unity. And he's going to talk about your marriage. And he's going to talk about spiritual warfare. And he's going to talk about sexual immorality. He's, He's getting there. But before he gets there, he wants you and I to know who we are. Then write this down. Beware of identity theft. Some of you in here have had that happen. Millions of America experience identity theft every year. Cost our economy like $5 billion. Cost people trying to clear it up thousands of dollars. It's an awful thing. But it doesn't compare to spiritual identity theft. My friends, if Satan can come into your life this morning and, and steal your identity in Christ, if instead of forgiven, he can make you feel guilty, instead of free, he can make you feel enslaved, then he's won the battle. John 10.10 10 says that Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy and my friends, listen to me. The way he's going to try to destroy you quicker than any other way is by, by how you view yourself. Do you view yourself as just someone tossed about living in the wild country and city of Ephesus? Or do you view yourself primarily as someone who's immersed, surrounded, and protected in Christ? Where do you get your identity You see, how do you fill this blank in? I am blank. But Paul would say, what I want you to put in that blank more than anything else that should tell you who you are and how you live is that I am in Christ. I asked you this morning, how many of you is Satan been stealing your identity? You live in insecurity about your salvation. You live in insecurity about who you are. You live in insecurity about your behavior because somehow he's come in and he's made you think that the only place you live is in Ephesus. And he's made you forget that you're in Christ. You say, buddy, I've struggled with this all my life. I want to be in Christ. How do you get in Christ? Look at this passage, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. 
Paul says, or don't you know that all of us who are baptized, here's the key word, into Christ were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in, his, in a death like his, we'll certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Guys, what makes this moment so powerful is not this water. It's your immersion, not in water, but your immersion in Christ. You're immersed into his death. You're immersed into his burial. And you're immersed into his resurrection. You come out completely identified and covered and hidden and clothed with him. And so this morning, if you need a change of identity... We've got a moment that would mark that. You're coming today. We're not going to delay. We're not going to wait on it. They didn't in the first century. We'd baptize you right now. If you believe he's the son of God, you're sick of your old identity, and you want to embrace his new identity. Now, a lot of us have done that. But Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And our identity has been stolen. We're not living up to who we are. I'm not saying that to beat you up. I'm telling to say this to you. The big problem is not your behavior or my behavior or my insecurity or my depression or my sin struggle or your sin struggle. That's not the big issue. The big issue is who I am. You know what you do when your identity's been stolen? You know the first thing you better do? You better report it. First thing you're going to do is you're going to pick up the phone and you're going to report. And this morning, if your identity's been stolen, the best thing I can tell you to do is to come to this front row and report it. Confess it. I need your prayers this morning, brothers and sisters, because I'm not who I ought to be. And the reason I'm not is because Satan has gotten into my mind and Satan has gotten into where I live and our culture has more determined who I am than who Christ says I am in him. And today, would you pray for me? I'm so insecure. I'm so messed up. I'm doing things I don't want to do. And the issue is I've forgotten who I was and I am in Christ. Report it today. Let's pray about it before you get out of here and embrace what God has said about you. Reminds me of this guy, he, um, the newspaper, local newspaper made a big mistake and they had put his name in the obituary column. And so he was pretty upset because all his friends thought he was dead and it affected his business and all these things. And he spent all these weeks trying to clear it up. He, he kept complaining to the paper and complaining. They issued a retraction, but that wasn't good enough for him. And finally, he went back to the, the, the paper one more time. He says, you know, you have caused so much damage in my life by listing my name in the obituary uh, a month ago. What are you going to do about it? And the editor of the paper said, here's what I'll do. I'm going to put your name tomorrow under the birth column (laughs) and you can start your life all over again and that's what God's saying to us this morning who cares about that let's put it under the birth column
Embrace your identity in Christ. Report it today and start a new life. Who you are determines what you do. And if you don't know who you are, you don't know what to do. And today, you can change that. God says, you're in Christ. Would you agree with him today? We're singing this beautiful song that says everything I've been saying. In Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong by the Father's love. As we sing that, and that's not who you've been or who you, that's not who you want to be. You don't want to be who you've been. You want to be what we're singing. And you need to report it and let's pray for you. Why don't, why don't you come right now while we sing this awesome song together? Let's stand together.